Today's scripture reading is Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out from heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good morning. How are y'all? Jesus been dethroned and all's bad, right? Y'all kind of glad you're with the people of God? You good with that? They're looking pretty rough, man. I don't know. That was pretty weak sauce, man. Wow. Okay, well, let's talk about Jesus. Maybe that'll fix things up a little bit, okay? Yeah, all right. We've got a little, ooh, yay, Jesus. All right, we're going to get there one way or another. Oh, my goodness. Very nice. Uh, can I have somebody's notes? Because, like, these are perspective sheets. I have no clue what happened to my notes. Very nice. <clears throat> If anybody wants to come to Perspectives, though, I have our outline for tonight. You guys ready? All right. Very... How did that happen? Somebody's got my full-blown notes out there, so enjoy them. All right. Very nice. You have that moment of panic where it hits? like, oh, Jesus. Wow. Where are they at? Oh, okay. Here we go. So, uh, yeah. As we come to the church at Philadelphia, we're going to see... Um, one of the two churches that Jesus does not rebuke. Um, as, we, as we come to this church and as we um, take a look at what Jesus has to say to this church, it's important to remember that there is a huge conflict that is happening here. And this conflict is between Jesus and Satan and all of his henchmen. And there is a, there is a war, there is a struggle going on to pervert the proclamation of the gospel to the nations. And the church's greatest need was that they see Jesus. Remember the main theme, the point in Revelation is the revealing, the uncovering of Jesus. Not as a weakened peasant dude that was jacked about social justice, but as the reigning creator king of the universe. That they would see him in his magnificence and that in the middle of their, their persecution, in the middle of the temptation to acclimate to uh, struggle, to acclimate to hardship, to give in to affluence. She's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Those aren't it either, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the effort. I love you. You're amazing. Thank you. Hey, I'm, I'm good, though. I'm good. That's my wife, by the way. She's beast. Thank you, Todd. I can't keep it. Todd knows I'm jealous of his iPad. 
Wow, and he this is he pulled up my notes off the blog and they're awesome. Jesus wants me to have one of these. You just haven't provided a way for it yet. But hey, um, thank you, Todd. Aren't you glad there's never a dull moment at Three Rivers Community Church? Isn't that cool? Awesome. We're not so stiff. We can't roll. Thank you, Todd. By the way, I felt like I was doing pretty good with my intro since I didn't have it in front of me. Man, I was right there. That's pretty fun. Wow. Holy Spirit's good. He uses donkeys. I'm excited about that. Um, so as, as they were as they were in the middle of this this difficult situation. The deal was don't give in. Don't give in to the, the, the temptation to material affluence or to put your trust in anything other than Jesus. Because remember, he sits on the throne. He's king and he's ruling. And so stay firm. Stay steadfast. And if you've noticed, because uh, as, as we move through these churches, Jesus always encourages them. He says, he who has an ear, hear what I'm saying to you. And, and previous to that, he's got some really good things to say to them. And to the church at Philadelphia, he's, he's reminding them. Uh, he said, you guys, hear what I've had to say to you. You stand firm. You, you'll be a pillar in the temple of my God. You're to be in that city. And, and you will never have to go out of that city. What's really cool about the church at Philadelphia is the fact that this city was racked by incessant earthquakes. And, and geographically, they were always, always, always dealing with earthquakes. And, and as a result, most of the people had to flee the city. And they lived in the outer parts of the city where there was fertile farmland. And they farmed, and that's where they earned their living. And Jesus, knowing that geographical context because he created it, and he understands it, says to them and what they would understand, you'll never have to flee the temple of God because you're going to be a pillar in it. The city shakes, mine never will shake. And what they needed to see and understand was this Jesus is ruling, he's ruling well, and that he was moving them toward his mission. So no doubt, the church is called to be faithful to Jesus and his mission while they are engaged in this titanic, this huge struggle between Jesus and the spiritual forces of evil that are seeking to stop the advance of the gospel. No doubt. No doubt, be encouraged by this. Jesus is coming. He's coming. It's a sure reality. As sure as gravity is 9.8 meters per second squared, Jesus is coming. And He will not delay. When the war is over, when the mission's completed, He's coming. And when He does, this war will be ended. The kingdom's going to be established fully. And I can't wait till we get to that part of Revelation because I think your concept of heaven is going to be blown up and replaced by a superior version. This is a little side note. Go pick up some Randy Alcorn and read the book like that thick. Pretty easy to read about heaven. We have this weird, messed up... I remember as a kid thinking that heaven was going to be this huge worship service where four dudes with matching suits and patent leather shoes, stood at the front and led us to sing songs we didn't like in a hot building where we fanned ourselves. And I remember thinking, if this is heaven, I'm not sure I'm down with that. I remember thinking, this is not fun. And I'm not really sure what that song had to do with Jesus. And I don't like the patent leather shoes. The suits are bad. And if this is what heaven's going to be like, I'm, I'm not there, man. And I remember thinking that was not cool. And the best things that ever happened to me was to read the Bible. <laughs> it's crazy what happens when you read the Scriptures because they will give you the most beautiful vision of what is. 
And when this kingdom comes and is established, the eternal kingdom is a place you want to be. No doubt there's going to be some gathered times where we as a globe, as a redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, gather before the king. And we're going to sing songs to him. But that's not the totality of this kingdom. It is a new heaven and a new earth, renewed, fixed, totally. The jacked upness is gone. Sin is abolished. The evil one is thrown into the pit. And Jesus rules the nations well. And the kings will bring their wealth into the capital city. And we will serve him with no sin. Can you imagine being able to work with no sin to stop you? You will get tired. Mentally, physically, emotionally. Your hands will be perfectly productive. Corn will grow right. Rain, if there will even be the need, will never fail. There won't be any droughts. There won't be any floods. I may actually be able to cut a piece of wood and make it fit something. That's amazing that the kingdom is going to be Set up in its fullness. And, and, and that is what these churches are looking forward to. That the mission will be completed one day. The evil one will be cast into hell along with all of his followers. Who chose hell over Jesus by remaining in their sin. And staying in their sin. And Jesus is going to reign over his kingdom. And he's going to reign over all things forever. So as we dial this struggle down to the church at Philadelphia. I think it's important for us to take the encouragement that Jesus gives to the church at Philadelphia. For he has no critique of them. No critique. Just encouragement. Rivers Community Church. I believe that this church and what Jesus has to say to this church is for you. So would you just take this and enjoy what Jesus has to say to his people. The first thing Jesus wants to say to them in verse 7 is this. Jesus is the sovereign Messiah. Listen to verse 7. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write. Listen to the words of Jesus. The words of the Holy One. The true one. This is amazing. Who has the key of David. Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts. And no one opens. When John is quoting Jesus here, and Jesus speaks of the key of David, Jesus is referencing the passage he's already inspired in Isaiah 22 22. Listen to what Jesus has inspired Isaiah to write. Looking forward to the Messiah. And I will place on his shoulder. Whose shoulder? This one who is coming. The one Isaiah would later speak of in Isaiah 53. The suffering servant who would die. And for the sin of the people. That by his stripes they would be healed. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. What is the key of David? It's not like David walked around with this big... Huge golden key hanging off his side all the time. It just opened any door globally. This is figurative language to speak of the king. As the king had the authority to make opportunity to do whatever he needed to do as king. 
Isaiah is saying through the inspiration of the Lord Jesus and inspiring the scriptures that he's going to place on his servant this key of David. That is the authority of the king to do what he desires as king when he needs to do it. When Jesus speaks to the church here, he says, I am the holy and true one who have this key of David. That's vital to them because it appears that the church always finds itself being stepped upon. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. But our king holds the key. He is the sovereign Messiah. He opens doors. No man shuts them. He shuts doors. No man opens them. I want you to get... This vision that Jesus has of his universe. Jesus is the sovereign Messiah. He's the king. He's the creator of all things. And he, as a consequence, has the authority and power at any time in space and history to open up any opportunity for his people to do ministry. And it's not a result of their creativity. It's not a result of their coolness. It's not a result of their strategery. It's not a result of anything other than the sovereign Messiah flung open a door and he says, walk through my door. This is, this is one of the coolest things that we as a church would ever be encouraged by. Listen, personally, corporately, if there is an opportunity for ministry, you didn't open it. He did. And you don't have to worry about walking through it. Go! The king flung a door open. Go! The open door is the invitation. Does that make sense? I've given the key of David to my, my holy one, my righteous one. And when I open doors, dude, it's not shut till I shut it. Do you understand what this means? The emperor cannot close off ministry. Nero cannot stop the advancement of the gospel. And no matter how many Christians he impales and burns to light his gardens, he can't shut the door. That's amazing. The sovereign Messiah has the key of David. The point is, Jesus is king. He's king. He's king. Our president is not king. He is at best an underling of the sovereign of the universe who placed him there, no doubt. Read the prophets. There's no king that comes to power, but what King Jesus sets there for a reason and a purpose our president is serving a sovereign purpose beyond what he thinks he's serving. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it happens to be Donald Trump next time around. Trump will not become whatever we think he'll become unless King Jesus sits him on the throne. All kings globally sit under the rule of King Jesus. And there are no doors open that Jesus doesn't open. There are no doors shut that Jesus doesn't shut. Listen, your worldview has to start there. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
I did a talk this week at a local church. A dear partner had me come talk to their students about where does worldview begin? This is what I do, Bible or Jesus, Scripture or Jesus. And the Scripture talk can get kind of boring. I don't think it's boring, but it's like we start talking canon and people are like, does it shoot balls? No, no, no. Not that kind of canon. No, no, no. Not explosives. No, no, no. It's different. People are like, I don't know what that is. And that's a longer talk. So it's okay. Let's do Jesus. We've got 30 minutes. Let's do little Jesus. Listen, you have to understand that this globe operates at the behest of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says he sustains it by the word of his power. The reason our solar system, the reason the universe spins as it does without going into mass chaos is because its creator speaks it constantly into order. Listen, that's operating on a worldview level far above the material world. That's looking far beyond the physical to why the physical? Why is there something rather than nothing? That's a question atheists don't want to play with. Because there's no answer to it. No physical answer to that one. It becomes immaterial. And an immaterial reality is dangerous to atheism. Because nothing but material in that world. Why is there something rather than nothing? It's because the king made it and he rules it well. He opens doors. He shuts doors. And so, listen. Application number one, don't fret when doors shut. Chill. Jesus does not shut doors unless it's good for that door to be shut for us. Do we really think that our superiors rule things? That's a weak view of Jesus. This church at Philadelphia engaged this titanic struggle for the advance of the gospel. They need to understand that Nero rules nothing. What did Jesus say to Pilate? You would have no authority unless it had been given to you by my Father. You not think I can't call down 12 legions of angels at this moment? Kind of looking forward to that Revelation 19 when he brings them. And us if we're dead. Jesus like, I got them. My army's ready. Sovereign Messiah. Regardless of earthquake, famine, distress, whatever it happens to be, the sovereign Messiah rules well. Jesus gives opportunity and He removes opportunity. Jesus is our sovereign Messiah. Church, there's no ministry we're doing now that hadn't been opened by Jesus first. We didn't create it. We didn't make it up. He did it. Isn't that awesome? Which means we're not running into ministry on our own. He rules ministry. To do ministry, to be engaged in the advancement of the gospel locally and globally, is to walk in step with the King. It's a divine activity. To be involved in the life of the church is to be involved in divine activity. It's not just physical labor. It's divine, holy communion with the King who made the way. And if He decides that we go out of business, we can't stop that. I gave you some statistics last week that talked about 
the shutting down of 65% of our denomination's churches by 2020, by 2050. Jesus said already in the early part of Revelation, He is the one who removes lampstands. If Jesus is shutting down buildings, it's okay. He knows what He's doing. He's the sovereign one over His church and He loves His church. Which leads me to point two. Jesus knows our works. He knows our works. Listen to verse 8. I know your works. I just notice I try to take my points out of the text just so I don't confuse you. And sometimes they're long, but sometimes because they're straight here. I just want you to read your Bibles, man. Just go read Scripture. Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus knows our works. Even if no one else knows of our faithfulness or your individual private faithfulness, He knows. The earth is littered with men and women who've been faithful and no one ever wrote their name down. Jesus knows. There is nothing done in His name that He's ignorant of. There is nothing done for the advancement of His cause that He is surprised by. Jesus knows our works and as a consequence, be faithful. Don't be faithful for the eyes of men. Be faithful for the eyes of the King who sees all. I've said before, and I say again, just a little side note. If you want to be right center in the good purposes of the Lord for you 20 years from now, obey right now. Just be faithful right now. There's no rocket science to that. That won't sell books. I can't get 300 pages out of that and get a publisher to stick their name on it with a nice slick cover. I mean, Smiling and head shined up just right. Just, you know, it, just be obedient right now. Be faith, faithful right now. He knows. He knows if you'll be faithful right now, you won't miss tomorrow. And didn't Jesus say today has enough trouble of its own? Tomorrow will care for itself. So don't worry. Don't fret. And oh, but our culture creeps in upon us and says, you need a five-year plan. And Jesus says in James... Who do you pre to presume that you'll even be alive next year? Say, if the Lord wills, we will go and do this. Listen, we've got to remember, He's ruling even our heartbeats. I may not be alive by six tonight at Perspectives. It may be presumptuous to have this. I think I might be doing a warm-up at 6.35. I might be... In a cooler at Ford Hospital. He knows your faithfulness. And as a consequence, we must be good with that. Unrecognized faithfulness is counted as much as recognized faithfulness by men. We have a tendency to seek after the recognition of men, don't we? We want people to know how good or cool we are or how cutting edge we may be. 
or how whatever. I mean, it's I'm, I'm chief sinner, right? We all are that way. We want people to know our good works. But history is littered with examples of men and women who are just faithful and nobody knows their name. They didn't make it into a book. Nobody wrote about them. My favorite example, we don't have his name because he's unnamed. George Mueller, my number one non-Jesus hero, is sick and he goes to spend 10 days in Teemouth in England. He talks about hating the doctrines of grace and hadn't yet begun his ministry that he would become famous for. And he spent 10 days there. It just so happened that there was a man, a pastor, traveling through who loved the doctrines of grace. And Mueller began to engage him in conversation. And he spent 10 days with him. And Mueller writes about the fact that over those 10 days, his heart was brought alive. And he learned to love the doctrines of grace. And, it, and Mueller says it was that encounter with that man that changed the whole trajectory of his ministry. And Mueller never calls his name. That's probably a lot of us sitting in this room. No one will ever know our name. Jesus knows. He knows. Be faithful. Be faithful. I would rather have, and I hope I mean this, I would rather have the recognition of Jesus than money. There's a song I've been just stewing on all week. I posted it on the blog called Background by Lecrae. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this guy. I like him a lot. A lot. You go listen to it. It's pretty worth your time. I think that's kind of got to be our heart's cry that I'm okay with being in the background. Because when I get up in the lead, running my life, doing my deal, I have a tendency to mess it up. So I'll just play the background like it's an instrument. I'll be okay being stage right. You take the stage. You know? He knows. He knows. It is written down. So be faithful today. Does that make sense? Just be faithful today. There is never a promise of notoriety. Jesus knows. And Jesus alone gives reward. And I think I would rather have his reward than mine. So Jesus tells this church here, you have little. You have little. Yet you've kept my word. Be faithful. Number three, Jesus gives opportunity for ministry when one is dependent on him. Listen, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And listen to this, and you, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Listen, that is counterintuitive to our context, isn't it? You have little. You, you, have, you have what everyone considers to be the least, yet you have not denied my name. You kept my word. And Jesus says, there's a door open for you. And I open and I shut no one else. Listen, guys. Jesus gives opportunity for ministry when we are dependent on Him. When our strategy is the gospel. <laughs> when, our, when, 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 when people say, dude, what do you do? Jesus? 
Okay. That's effective. Listen, I think that's what, I, I think at least as I read Genesis to Revelation, that's what God takes delight in. He doesn't take delight in much. Next week, we're going to see what he has to say about much. Kind of makes him sick. He's not jacked about his name being advanced through our means. Jesus is not a pragmatist. He's not all about advancing his name at whatever means. I know that's kind of like maybe up here. Okay? But Jesus cares that not only his name get advanced, but he, he cares how we advance it. And he doesn't want successful means. He wants his means. He wants his way. Because if we can advance his name through our ingenuity, our ingenuity comes off looking a lot slicker than Jesus. And I don't think he's too jacked about ingenuity getting some play. I think he is excited and he takes great joy when he is the beginning, the middle, and the end. And that even though everyone else look at it and say, no way, man, Jesus goes, you have been faithful and I open your door. Listen, our culture values bigness and slickness. But when you begin to take a look at bigness and slickness, you find ineffectiveness. You find waste. And I find it interesting that that's not just a, that, that's a global deal. Just look at any government. Government, apart from Jesus, I don't care who runs it, is a big exercise in waste. Jesus gives opportunity when one is dependent on him. Listen, guys, your private personal ministry in engaging Roman Floyd County and the nations from Three Rivers Community Church will not be based upon how creative or ingenious you are. It will be on how faithful you are to the gospel. Number four. Probably wondered how we're going to get missions into this. Well, here we are. This is this is an astounding passage. Because we've told you this before, and you know this: missions is not a line item in a budget. It is the tenor. It's the golden thread of Genesis to Revelation. God is a missionary God. Jesus is the epitome of a missionary. He leaves his context and he comes to ours. He wears our clothes. He speaks our language. He eats our food and He brings to us who God is. He teaches us and He becomes the epitome, the example of what it is for us to engage our culture and our world. The mission of the church is from the local establishment of the church to go global. It is both and. When you go through the new members class, we say global. It's global and local simultaneously. It's not either or, it's both and at the same time. You can't have a global work without starting from somewhere. I mean, that's just common sense, right? Like, because we don't hang out in some ambiguous sort of vacuum place from which we go. We go there from here, which means we're here, which means in order to go there, we've got to be here. So to be effective there, we've got to be effective here. It's both and simultaneously. 
That's the, that's the thread of Scripture. That God intends from people located somewhere to go to those outside of themselves. I want you to listen to the subtleness of this. But when you see the Isaiah 45, 14, and 49, 23 deal juxtaposed with this, that we're about to look at, you're going to see, oh my goodness, there it is again. Missions in the Bible, guess we need to be involved. You ready? Look at verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Ouch. Ouch. Synagogue of Satan. I mean, this, by the way, John's a good little Jewish dude. And Jesus, speaking through John, the little Jewish dude, just called their house of worship the location of Satan. I'm just saying. That's pretty rough, right? That'd be like Jesus turning around to us and going, Hey, Church of Satan. What? I thought, really? I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, first, who is them and who is you? Okay? The them in the synagogue are ethnic Jews. Okay? And Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews, but they're lying. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, they have a genealogy. They are descendant from Abraham. If you go back and read Paul in Romans, he does this nice little definition deal of what a real Jew is, that circumcision isn't outward and of the flesh, but it's inward and of the heart, so that Gentiles get to get grafted into that whole original Abraham deal. Because the gospel's not just for them, it's for us too. So the thems here, the synagogue of Satan, are the Jews. The Jews here are the church at Philadelphia, a bunch of Gentiles who eat pork and shellfish and wear mixed fabric clothing and don't see the priest when they have a pimple. They're goeem, they're nasty Gentiles. Jesus says, synagogue of Satan, I have loved you. Gentiles, I've loved you. They've not loved me. Yeah, they have the right pedigree, but they don't love me. You love me. Isaiah 45, 14. And in Isaiah 43, 29. Write them down. Go back and read them in their context. Okay? Read the whole chapter. Heck, read the whole book of Isaiah. If you hadn't done that recently, you need to do it anyway. So just go read it all. Okay? In these passages, this is crazy. Isaiah looks ahead through the work of the Spirit of God to foresee that the Gentiles would come and bow down to the Israelites and acknowledge that there is but one God and it's the God of Israel. That the Gentiles through them would come and see there's one God. He's not Baal. He's not some other weird thing. But He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. The one God. Jesus said He was that God. So they would come and they would see there's one God and His name's Jesus. And the Gentiles would bow before them and see that. John comes along and he takes this imagery and he says, I will make them bow before you and recognize that I have loved you too. Because what didn't they do? 
They didn't take the gospel to the nations. They failed miserably at the missionary enterprise of making sure all nations knew of the glory of the Lord. Habakkuk 2.14, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. They did not do that. So he scattered them among the Gentiles of his own accord so that wherever they went, people would have to see there is a God in Israel. And they fundamentally failed to make sure the gospel went global. And so John says, they are a synagogue, but they're a synagogue of Satan. I said to them, I will make the Gentiles bow to see there's a God, but I'm going to make them bow to you to show them that I have also loved you, Gentiles. In other words, there is a global implication of the gospel. And he intends to be worshipped globally. If we, us, do not globally engage My fear is that the lampstand will go out. It's the mission. We do that here. We do that here. And so that you never get tired of hearing it. So that you never wonder why. That's why. Because it is the mission. God intends to be worshipped globally. And he would take these poor, wretched Gentiles who were not the establishment, who had nothing, and he would cause those to come and see that he loves people from other nations. American church, we have to make sure that we don't major on us and miss them. We have to be here among us in order to go to them. Those places who've never had access to the gospel. I've said it on Twitter and I can't elicit a fight. So maybe you can go find somebody to fight with. If anyone you know is anywhere in any church that does not personally engage globally, And will not find another body. A church that will not do the global peace fails to be the church. You can't have a mission other than Jesus' mission and be on Jesus' mission. It would have happened if the 101st decided on June 6th, early in the morning, 1944, to turn around and fly back to the states because we got to we need to protect new york city statue of liberty so we're we're not flying across to normandy we're going to turn around and go that way good with that ike ike all right good see you Ike. in a couple years you think you think eisenhower would have been okay with that and if you have no clue what i'm talking about because you hadn't had history like i don't know who that is world war ii d-day whole 101st airborne dropping into normandy kind of thing do you think ike would have been okay with that Unless you're confused, no, he would not have. No, no. The 101st just doesn't get to say, well, that's the mission. But I'm not too down with that because we need to defend the homeland too. So we're just going to go ahead and mosey on back over there, Ike, okay? We know that's stupid. We know that would have never happened. So my question is, why do we read the mission of Jesus and just decide, well, hey, this is a pretty good idea. 
How about Jesus? Okay. You draw my line around me right here. And we're going to get 18 to 34. As many of them as we can for Jesus, right? Do you think Jesus is cool with that? No. I would argue the lamp is flickering. Which is one of the reasons the churches in the east are outsending the churches in the west. I'm just saying. Didn't he say he would cause the lamp to go out? In order to keep our lamp burning, we engage in his mission. Would the 101st have saved lives had they gone back to New York City? Oh, you bet. Less people would have died, wouldn't they? But in order for the mission to succeed, men had to die. In order for the mission to succeed, some of us may not make it to what we would consider a ripe old age. But Jesus says, I know, I know your works. I open doors and you walk through them. I shut doors and you stay put. The gospel is for all nations. And Jesus will shame those who do not take the gospel to the nations. He shamed those Jews who would not go global by making them bow at the feet. And he will someday at the feet of these Gentiles and say, I've loved you. I've loved you. Our God has loved you. And you missed it. Missed it. I don't want to have to be in any band that Jesus says bow to that person you thought inferior and say he loved you. I don't think any of us in that room want that, do we? So if you know people who are not getting to do this, point them somewhere that will. I've said before, ask your pastor if he knows what a UPG is. If he doesn't, find a new church. And I mean that. Skip down to verse uh, number six. And get ready to wrap it up right here. Jesus is coming sooner now than ever. Jesus' coming is sooner now than ever before. So make sure we hold fast and are a ready and willing participant in the mission. He's coming sooner now than ever before. So let's make sure we stay ready by being a participant in his mission. Jesus says in verse 11, I am coming soon. You ever read that in the Bible and sort of get tired of hearing it? Just be honest. He said I'm coming soon like almost 2,000 years ago. I mean, can you like speed this up or something? Like when is soon going to be? Is it going to be another 2,000 years? I don't know. Listen, let let me help you here with this. You've got to remember, when Jesus says soon, he doesn't mean soon the way you and I mean soon. Okay? Stop and think for a second. Jesus, creator of all things, stands outside of time and space. It probably just totally blew up your brain. All right? 
Jesus does not function in time and space. Okay? From a single point in eternity, he created, sees, and knows all time and space. Okay? In other words, that's why Isaiah 46 and various passages, I say the beginning from the end. My purpose will stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. And no man will afford it. Why? Because he's established time and space from eternity, beginning to end. It's not playing out according to our subjection, but according to his plan of history. He's working history. Okay? So when Jesus says soon, it's soon. 2,000 years of church history is not that long from eternity. I know worldview that's like, choom. Okay? Stop and think with me for a second. Jesus gave us a few indicators. And one of the indicators he gave us was Matthew 24, 14. When he says the gospel will be preached among all nations and then the end will come. It's down to a small window. And the gospel is speeding forward every day at a quicker rate. People are going. With technology, the gospel it is advancing to places it's never been before. We are closer now than we have ever been. It is conceivable that the gospel could run its course in our lifetime. I don't know that. I'm just saying. It's getting smaller. The windows get smaller and smaller and smaller. And the more people go through perspectives, the more we sin. We're speeding the day forward. God's rate. He opens doors and people are going and they're serving and they're doing this work. So his coming is sooner now than ever before in the history of the church. I don't know if that excites any of you, but it should. Our day is winding down so that the time will come when, when, when our faith will become sight. That our, our wondering will, will fall away and we will know. Somebody should go charismatic with me. This is when I wish we were. It's soon, it's soon, it's soon. So let me admonish you, let me encourage you. As you are faithful now, let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's not grow weary in doing good for one day. Soon we, we will see it, we will reap, we will taste that fruit if we do not. Let's not grow weary. You taste that with me? Because it gets wearying sometimes, doesn't it? We're trying to be faithful. We're trying to be obedient. We're trying to do this today, but I'm tired. Tired. You get tired. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not give in to the cultural lie that somehow this should have happened yesterday. College students, please don't buy the lie that you are to have arrived in your 20s. Don't shame men and women of history who spent their days grinding out obedience into their 60s before they ever saw an ounce of fruit and think somehow I'm in my 20s. Where's my check? Where's my notoriety? Where's my life? You may never see notoriety. You may die poor in a cardboard box and you need to be okay with that.
the mission is advancing the gospel. He knows. And he is faithful. And he says, I'm coming soon. So here it is. Hold fast to what you have. Listen, guys. Run hard after the gospel and what he's given you to do. And if that means you never get a paycheck from it, find some other way to fund your life so that you can do what God's made you to do. Don't let your parents tell you that your job is to make a lot of money and have financial security. That won't preach in China. You go tell those pastors that, and they will laugh at you and scoff at you as they run headlong into opposition with the good news of Jesus, knowing that their reward is great. We jack because we might get a stinking retirement plan. And they're going to retire. What? Listen, guys, hold fast. Be faithful. Just be faithful. And the promise is, as I started, He will make us into His city. The kingdom will come and there will reign forever. In a place that won't rot. And that's a good gig. Be faithful. Lord Jesus, we are, we are in need of being faithful. I'm in need of being faithful. All of us are in need of being faithful. And I think right now we're all trying to be faithful. But I also know, Lord, that at some point today, I will be seized in temptation in some fashion or another. Mentally, emotionally, physically, who knows. And if not today, tomorrow. And a million things, Lord, will bombard us in this titanic struggle for the advancement of the gospel. Privately, personally, and corporately. And I don't want to fail that. And as much as I say that with my mouth internally, I already feel the struggle. And I don't think I'm alone. So Holy Spirit, would you please take your people? And would you just counsel them right now? And as you counsel us, would you let us engage and some of what we'll get to do in the kingdom. Together, bringing you much praise and song. Would you take the lead? Would you put us in the background and let us make much of you? And enjoy you. Enjoy your counsel and your instruction. And would you just help us to be faithful today? So that Jesus, you look good and we are grown in Christ.